Welcome to the Smart Green Energy Transition podcast. This is a Smarter Grid Solutions production and is our contribution to the search for impactful solutions to the climate challenge. This podcast will focus on smart decentralised energy solutions, a crucial but underreported part of the net zero carbon transition. We'll explore topics such as decentralised renewable energy developments, smart grid integration solutions, required system flexibility, customer empowerment, community enablement and local energy markets. I'm Graham Alt, Executive Director at Smarter Grid Solutions and I'm joined by co-host Ben Curley, Project Manager also at Smarter Grid Solutions. Today we're looking at the role that government and policy can play in supporting the clean energy transition and we're delighted to be joined today by Dr Simon Gill, Head of Whole System and Technical Policy in the Directorate of Energy and Climate Change at the Scottish Government. Simon, welcome. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, Graham and Ben. Simon, could you start just by giving us a quick introduction to yourself and the organisation, the Scottish Government, and the parts of the Scottish Government you work for and what your role involves? Yeah, sure. So as you said, Graham, my role is whole system and technical policy focused on the energy system. It's a really interesting job. It involves thinking about everything in energy, really. So that includes electricity, heat, transport, it includes the gas system, it includes our current oil and gas sector, and it also includes thinking about what's coming next, hydrogen, CCS, and things like that. And it involves thinking about how all those things need to integrate together. And that's, I think, the big challenge that I'm really interested in, and I have a chance through my job to sort of influence in Scotland. So that's what my job is at the moment. My background is in electrical engineering. I used to work at the University of Strathclyde, focused mainly on innovation projects with electrical network companies. And I work on a number of projects, including some with Smarter Grid Solutions, looking at integrating renewable energy onto electricity distribution networks. And my kind of interest in energy and the sector has grown from there, really. That's really interesting, Simon. Sounds like a fascinating role, and and particularly at this time as well, with everything that's going on in in the energy sector, but also more broadly, obviously, with COP coming up. I guess it would be quite interesting to learn a bit more about what motivates you. What brought you into this career path? I was thinking about this. I suppose it kind of, at heart, it comes from the fact that I've always spent time in the environment and outside. That's kind of why I moved to Scotland in the first place. Back around 2000, I came to Scotland for university, but mainly for the mountains. I've always loved being outside. And when I'm doing my work, I do think back to things like the wild and the special places that I've been to in Scotland and elsewhere, and that link to the natural world. So I think that's kind of where it stems from. I came into this sector really about 15 years ago nearly through a PhD program at the University of Strathclyde which was the Wind Energy Centre for Doctoral Training. I didn't have an engineering background before that, I had a physics background and I was really interested about trying to use my scientific knowledge to do something for energy in the environment. And through that process, I learned a lot about engineering and some of the differences between science and engineering and the viewpoints they have on the world. And that kind of got me involved in the technical side of how we change our energy system, how we decarbonize. And then over the kind of the last decade or so, I've been increasingly involved with policy and the need to sort of help engineering and policy teams to speak to each other to understand each other's challenges and and ways of looking at the world 
And that's what eventually brought me into the Scottish government, where I think that's a really important part of what I do and what we need to do. Engineering is really technical. It has a lot of technical solutions and a lot of technical ways of looking at the world. Policy making on the whole isn't, and it's not full of engineers. And I think both those groups of people can learn from each other. They need a bit of help sometimes in talking to each other, but when they do, the results can be really, really positive. I guess it would be interesting to learn a bit more about what you think your role at the moment can help to achieve. And in particular, looking at your role in the Scottish Government, what do you think Scotland's mission is in relation to climate change? So I think Scotland and the Scottish Government have a really clear vision that's laid out through our legislation, our policy ambitions, our targets. Scotland has some of the most challenging and ambitious targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions anywhere in the world. So by 2030, we need to have reached a reduction of 75% on our greenhouse gas emissions compared with 1990, and then reduce that again to reach net zero by 2045. And doing that, it's a big challenge, but it's also one that is actually quite imminent now. So over the next decade, or less than a decade actually, we've got a lot to do. I think one of the things that that's meaning is that In Scotland, a lot of the debates that have been, I suppose, slightly sort of theoretical in the past are becoming very concrete very quickly. That's great because it means that we're having to deal with the challenge of actually delivering on these targets. We've got to change things and we've got to change things quickly. So I think Scotland's always been at the forefront of decarbonisation. The last decade showed how quickly we could build up a huge fleet of renewable electricity generation, for example. And the next decade is about demonstrating change, which has a bit more impact on the day-to-day lives of people who live in Scotland. That is, I think, going to demonstrate, hopefully, to other countries, to the rest of the UK, the challenges and the opportunities that come from doing that. You mentioned the starting point we have in developing renewables here in Scotland, you know, smart grid solutions, home turf, as it were. What other resources or ideas or solutions do you think Scotland and the Scottish Government have to bring to bear the climate targets you've mentioned for Scotland, but also on a global scale as well? So it's an interesting question, and I think organisations like Smarter Grid Solutions have a really big role to play in what we need to do next. What we've done in Scotland with our renewables rollout is to take advantage of a big natural resource that we have in Scotland, namely wind. And that gives us huge amounts of renewable energy. So megawatt hours of zero carbon energy can be produced in Scotland. But we're getting to the point where now our wind fleet is 12 gigawatts. Our peak electricity demand is just over 5 gigawatts. So we've already got substantially more installed renewable capacity than the amount of electricity we ever use at peak. But as you know, the distribution over time of when it's windy and when it's not windy means that you still need to think about how you align the demand for energy with the production of energy. We've got lots of energy storage, but a lot of that energy storage in the system still remains kind of based on fossil fuels. So, for example, the storage of gas and petroleum products in various points in the system. And as we decarbonise, a lot of our our flexibility, our energy storage is going to be moved away. And we need to really be clever about how we continue to balance the energy system, not just the electricity system, but the broader energy system. 
And I think Scotland's thinking about that quite well. So we've got a real focus on hydrogen, for example. And I think hydrogen has a very important place in the future energy system because of its potential to act as a storage. At the moment, natural gas, a fossil fuel, represents a large amount of storage. In the future, that storage could be hydrogen. That hydrogen could come from renewable sources through electrolysis. And we've got a real opportunity, I think, in Scotland to continue building our renewable fleet and to think not just about linking that to electricity demand, but also thinking about linking that to other energy demands through the medium of hydrogen, for example. Are there any projects or initiatives that you've been involved with or that you're aware of that you'd highlight or you view as successful in trying to drive this change? So I think there's a couple of projects that are underway at the moment and have sort of been recently completed. I'll build on the hydrogen point I was talking about earlier. So I think there's a really important project underway at the moment called H100 in Fife, which is about the production of hydrogen from a renewable source and then delivering that to houses through a new hydrogen network and the demonstration effectively of an end-to-end renewable energy, hydrogen, end-use heat demand process. That's underway. It's got funding from Ofgem and from Scottish Government. Watching that and seeing how that develops over the next couple of years is going to be really important as one way in which we can look at decarbonising heat. Another project that I wanted to flag was a project that Scottish Government part funded with Scottish Power last year, which was to look at some of the big kind of security of supply issues that come from the decarbonisation of electricity. So at the moment, we get a lot of the security of supply services from traditional power stations. Quite a lot of those remain fossil fuels. So whilst we've done really well on decarbonising the energy in electricity, we still have some way to go on decarbonising the security of supply and the operability of the electricity system. And that's an area that we've picked up. One aspect of that is the ability to black start the system. And that really is something that is still kind of a lot of fossil fuel power stations, particularly in England sort of play that role. Now that doesn't mean that they have to generate all the time but it does mean that you know we still rely on those as part of the system. Last year a Scottish power wind farm in southwest Scotland demonstrated I think what is the world's first black start of part of the electricity network from a wind farm and that was something that we put funding into from Scottish Power. The wind farm was De Salloc Wind Farm and it, it was very successful. It, it restarted the wind farm itself, it repowered a substantial part of the electricity transmission network connected to it and it kind of showed that actually going the next stage of reconnecting customers in a blackout just from a wind farm is actually very possible and that it's something that we could make part of the system very soon. That's really important, I think, because we need to make sure that the electricity system is a secure electricity system as well as a low carbon one. It's no good making everything low carbon, but making everything very fragile and unable to kind of deal with unexpected circumstances. So making sure that we are looking at those aspects is really important. And I think the Dear project was a really good example of that happening. So there's two, I think, good projects that have happened recently or are happening at the moment in Scotland. And I'd be really interested to see how they play out and what comes next. 
but wondered if you could tell us a bit more about the Scottish Government's role in leading change in areas where responsibility isn't in Scotland. You know, Scotland's a smallish nation and part of the United Kingdom, you know, and then in a European and world stage as well, a small country. Maybe say a little bit more about how to effect change where you don't have the full responsibility, you know, things like electricity networks, you know, they're a, a UK-wide matter. Thanks, Graham. It's an interesting question, and it's one we spend quite a lot of time working on, I think. I always sort of think that Scotland's unique. I mean, it's very easy to think that what you do is very special and very, this is what happens in Scotland. But actually, the, the more I have been thinking about it over the last couple of the years, I'm sure this is relevant to lots of parts of the world as well, where there's local governments, regional governments and national governments, and they all have different responsibilities, different kind of roles to play. So in Scotland, Scottish government doesn't have devolved responsibility for electricity networks, but electricity networks are absolutely critical for some of the ambitions that I laid out earlier to meet our climate change targets. For example, delivering on our 2030 interim climate change target is going to need us to decarbonise probably around a million homes in Scotland by 2030. And we've laid out a programme for doing that through our heating building strategy, which was published earlier this month. Heat pumps are going to be a really important part of that. And that is going to start loading up electricity networks, both at the local distribution level and also at the larger scale transmission level. And it's going to be really important that the companies that own and invest in those networks do so in a way that leads the heat pump transition that we expect for large parts of Scotland. And we need to make sure that UK national organisations like Ofgem, National Grid, the electricity system operator, and also UK government give us enough flexibility that things can develop in a particular way in Scotland to meet Scottish ambitions and targets whilst maybe developing differently in England and Wales and other parts of the country. I've always found that the best way to try to influence that is to make sure that we really understand the challenges that Ofgem and UK government and National Grid face when doing that and sort of make sure we sit around the table as equals. This isn't almost a demand of Scotland, but it's it's a cooperative process to make this happen. We've been really successful, I think, in building those relationships over the last couple of years. We have really good relationships with National Grid ESO and Ofgem and sort of sit down with them and the Scottish network owners to think about how best to do this. So, for example, earlier this year, we published a set of principles about how gas and electricity networks should be developed in Scotland in a way that enables us to meet Scottish targets whilst continuing to protect bill payers, which is the role that Ofgem play. Uh, They don't want to see excess spending on networks in Scotland that end up not being used. So they want to see evidence about what change is going to come through in Scotland, when, where and how. And our job is to help provide that evidence and support the sector to make the right decisions. So things like those principles, I think, are a really important way to do this. And that's something that Scottish Government has driven forward over the last year, I think, and is a good example of our leadership in this area. And I hope that approach continues over the next decade as we kind of hit more and more of those sorts of challenges. 
We're going to move on now. We're going to talk about COP26, the event itself. Yeah, so that's the background context for these discussions we're having. And in Scotland and in Glasgow, the city will be hosting a number of visitors internationally. There's a lot of news already about that. I wondered if you would share you know, some of the hopes that you have you know, personally as well as from your role within the Scottish Government. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, isn't it, in Glasgow? I mean, in terms of the main conference... I obviously hope that we come out of it with a really strong agreement, global agreement on climate change that builds on Paris and the previous agreements and brings, I think, more countries into this. It's been great to see the US, for example, coming back into the environmental space over the last year or so. It'll be really good to see what other countries bring to the table and what experiences they can share. I think beyond that kind of global agreement, it's that sharing and that discussion that something like COP brings together that I think has got real benefit. So the experience in Scotland is very specific. It's based on a small country with lots of wind and a particular kind of history. The experience across the UK is similar, but a bit different. The experience in Europe brings in countries like Spain, where things like solar are a really important part of things. But COP, a real global event, brings in the experience of what's happening in the Far East, on the other side of the world, in South America and Sub-Saharan Africa. And all of these systems will be different. The thing I really love about these types of events is understanding those differences and understanding the commonalities between them and sort of using that as a kind of a stage on which to build something stronger that can be applied in all sorts of places and can benefit all of us across the world. So I guess my hopes are, one, the kind of strong message that can come from a universal global declaration on climate. Two, on that learning and cooperation that can come from bringing people together with all these vast differences of experience, really. I guess as what we might say, an industry insider or you know a technical expert like yourself, are there any specific items or developments that are ongoing that give you cause for hope in the coming years? To me, the biggest challenge actually now is the integration question for the energy systems. And that can be within countries, but also across countries. I've talked a few times about the fact we've done a lot on decarbonising electricity generation in Scotland. But I always feel like the way that things work is that you have an electricity sector and that thinks about decarbonising itself. You have a heating sector and that thinks about decarbonising itself. You have an industry sector and they think about how to decarbonise. You have a hydrogen sector that is sort of nascent at the moment, but developing fast. And they think about production of hydrogen and then, okay, there's going to be lots of uses for it. The real challenge for me is bringing it all together into a coherent system that works. And that is the thing that I think to date there hasn't been enough work on. But I am seeing more and more points at which I think those discussions between sectors are starting to happen. That's kind of what my job is, is really bringing those sectors together and starting to see how they work. Now, I'm doing that in the Scottish context, but I I really want to see more of that happening. So that systems integration piece, I think, is really important. I'll give you an example. Electricity is often sort of thought of when people say energy, what they think about is the electricity system. Now, in Scotland, the electricity demand is less than a quarter of total energy demand. Around a quarter of it is petroleum-based products, and around half of it is heat, basically non-electric heat, so natural gas, really. So great, we've decarbonised electricity. 
great we've got ambitions to use electricity a bit more widely in those other sectors of the energy system. But we still need to think really hard about how we bridge those gaps. We're starting to do that in Scotland. And and I see more and more sessions where you bring together sectors that haven't sort of spoken to each other nearly as much in the past. I suppose one of the things that is specific to that that I'm looking forward to in COP is seeing what other countries are doing on that integration piece. What's happening around the world on bringing these things together? I always think that's really interesting. So a couple of years ago when I was in New York, I was speaking to a couple of people there who work on the natural gas sector in in New York, gas for heat. At that point, they weren't thinking at all about whether there were ways to decarbonize that energy demand. But I understand they've started on that now. There's things going on there. You look at other countries like Germany has a huge penetration of heat pumps already. So we can learn from what they're doing there. In Scandinavia, for example, I think there's large areas where natural gas has not been a major part of the heating system. And so what can we learn from them? Places like Denmark, where district heating is a really important part of the energy system. What can we learn from there? And it's kind of that sort of stuff that I think is going to be particularly interesting. I've said the ones that I know about. I'm hoping if you ask me in three weeks time after COP, there might be a whole number of other countries which I'm not aware of what they're doing and what their context is that I will have been glad to have learnt about at COP. We're going to move on to a quick fire set of questions. Do you think big wind or small local solar is the better clean energy solution? (laughs) It has to be both, doesn't it? I expect that might be a bit of a theme. The amount of energy we need, these large-scale renewable developments... So the big wind is without question, but it's also really important to think about opportunities for where you can co-locate generation and demand. So small solar and other technologies will will remain important, I think. Hydrogen or electric for your next car purchase? It would be electric if we could. Okay, so for your next home improvement, would it be battery, heat pump or EV charger? That would have to be a heat pump regulatory carrot or a policy stick to really make things happen? My preference was definitely for the carrot. And I think that goes to the fact that we need this to be something that people want to do, people and businesses. So the more we can encourage people and use their motivation to make this change, the better with the stick coming in when needed, really, rather than the first line of attack. Government mandates or free market solutions or climate solution? That's in some ways similar to the last question and where it's possible for the market to help deliver things, that's great. But I think there is a really strong role for government mandates here and things like the greenhouse gas targets for Scotland that I talked about earlier. That's an example of, I think, of a, of a good method of doing that. You kind of set government targets at a high level. Let's reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and let's do it quickly and at scale. And then hopefully the market can respond to that and bring forward the actual solutions needed to deliver the overall targets. And finally, more physical infrastructure, more digital solutions, or a lot of personal or lifestyle change to really depth of carbon reduction that we need now? I'll go back to my first answer. That has to be both, I think. We're going to need infrastructure to do the renewables, whether that's renewables for electricity, renewables for heat, whether it's carbon capture and storage to help with industrial decarbonisation. The infrastructure, I think, is is unavoidable. But what is also unavoidable is changes to our lifestyles. And there's some really good things coming through at the moment. So, for example, a focus in Scottish Government on 20-minute neighbourhoods, which is uh, aiming to think about 
all the things that you need for your daily life possible to get to within 20 minutes of your house. And so things like that, I think, can start to change people's lifestyles or, you know, make them want to change their lifestyles. And I think it's that wanting to change your lifestyle that is really important in the second option that you gave me there, Graham. I suppose in a positive way, the awareness and the upswing in public sentiment and positivity or desire to be a part of the solution as well. That That's a really encouraging thing that seems to be happening more and more now. Okay, we're going to move on to our last question here, Simon. This is slightly self-centred. Given your role and also what you know of us as an organisation, as a company, and what we do, uh, we wondered what you thought was the one thing that you think we should do to make sure we play our role best in this clean energy transition. I think that Smarter Grid Solutions has made a huge impact in how we use electricity smartly and how we produce electricity smartly and how we use the infrastructure associated with networks smartly. I think over the next decade, I would like organisations like Smarter Grid Solutions to be thinking well outside the electricity box, to be thinking about how what you're good at can support that big energy system transition how can it help heat how can it help transport how can it help industrial decarbonization and i think that if we can take the expertise the skills the experience that you have and build that out across energy not just across electricity then there's great opportunities for smarter grid solutions and great opportunities for society that's excellent thank you very much for that We wanted to thank you for a fantastic discussion there. We've covered an awful lot of ground from global scale to what's going on in Scotland and how your role and how the the government and the policy domain really helps push things along. So thank you for that. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Now, it's been a very interesting discussion. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Smart Green Energy Transition podcast series exploring the challenges and innovations in the net zero carbon transition. Our guest was Dr Simon Gill, Head of Whole System and Technical Policy in the Directorate of Energy and Climate Change at the Scottish Government. The presenters were Graham Alt and Ben Curley. The producer was Natasha Barbieri. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Smarter Grid Solutions, please visit www.sgsterms.com forward slash COP26.